All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. He uh, issues a state of emergency yesterday for education. North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper issues a state of emergency, but not actually a state of emergency. It was just to put on. Just having a laugh, you know, just... Just for the lols, is all. He was just, just kidding. JK? No, he did it in order to, well, if you believe uh, some pundits, he was doing it to audition for vice president. I don't think so, but I've seen that analysis. There are people that believe Roy Cooper is auditioning to be vice president. Because Kamala Harris is too close to an actual representation of Veep, the Julia Louis-Dreyfus character. Funny show. But, yeah, but without the obsession with Venn diagrams. But, um, yeah, Roy Cooper issues this, uh, this I care about education and this heated rhetoric about Republicans dropping atom bombs on education, trying to... Uh, choke the life out of public schools. I mean, really over-the-top rhetoric. And what is truly amazing is that he is completely impotent to stop this, which makes which makes the flaccid response here even sadder. It just it does. He he doesn't issue an actual ED, an executive or a, a emergency declaration. He doesn't issue an ED, so no ED. Right. Claiming that we can somehow stop the Republicans by emailing them, tweeting at them. Dude, you didn't stop them with the abortion thing. You didn't stop them with the pistol purchase permit thing. Methinks you're not going to be able to stop them on much of anything. This is the last gasps of Cooper's lame duck term. That's what we are seeing. Even. Even the uh, legacy media outlets see it. Here's a piece, WGHP-TV. With his name on no ballot, North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper is sparing no words in attacking the Republican-controlled General Assembly, this time saying there is a state of emergency for public education. Okay, uh, first of all, that's not true. He he did spare a lot of words. Actually, it was only a six-minute long speech he gave, and so the amount of words he spared was larger than the amount of words he uttered. And even if I'm not doing, like, the total vocabulary, I'm just looking at, like, he didn't call them racist. So I guess that's progress. Right? Cooper lost in veto override votes on pistol purchase permits, the restructuring of abortion rights to the GOP supermajority in both the House and the Senate, two issues he campaigned heavily on to combat. Uh, he campaigned heavily to combat in the public arena. That's an awkwardly written sentence. Anyway, the Senate's budget gives teachers a 4.5% raise over the next two years. 
and it plans to cut the personal and corporate income tax rates, making the personal rate 4.5% by 2024, which, by the way, the teachers would also get those tax cuts. You realize that. By the way, also, are you getting, are you getting a 10% pay raise? Are you getting a 10% pay raise over two years? That's in the House version for teachers. I don't begrudge teachers getting pay raises. I know, thanks to Joe Biden, inflation is killing a lot of us here. But over here in the private sector, and I recognize that this, this is probably why like, I don't have the softest shoulder upon which to shed the tears, um, we're not getting massive pay raises. We're worried about whether we're going to have jobs. That's what happens in the private sector when dear leader and his you know, merry band of idiots push through so much spending that the inflation goes into double-digit territory and then continues on in perpetuity. We all, it's a hidden tax on us. It's a hidden tax on us. We don't get, you know, somebody in the knight's armor to lobby for more uh, pay for us. We don't get that. So a 10% pay raise, 10.2% is in the House budget. He didn't mention that number, but that's in the House budget. He mentioned the Senate budget. And then he said that only, he talked about tax cuts for millionaires. But the tax cuts are for everybody. He wants to take, or the the Senate version wants to take the uh, marginal tax rate from 4.99% down to 4.5%. And they've been ratcheting it down for everybody. That's the first thing that Republicans started doing was to bring down that income tax rate because what you want more of, you tax less. And what you want less of, you tax more. This is a concept that Democrats understand when it comes to alcohol and cigarettes. They don't understand it oh, and guns, right? But they don't understand it when it comes to income for some reason. It's just lost on them for some reason. Senators cite the $34.8 billion budgeted for education the next two years as a strong investment. $34.8 billion for education over the next two years. Senate uh, Senate Leader Phil Berger issued a statement after Cooper's dumbassery. He said, meaningless publicity stunts do nothing to improve educational outcomes in our state. Um... Oh, sorry, this is Randy Breckbiel, Senate President Pro Tem's office, who wrote in response to a query from WGHP, quote, the House and the Senate will continue working together to move forward budget proposals that address the needs of students and parents. Part of the other thing going on here is that Cooper kind of sort of has to supposedly, and I'm not, I don't necessarily believe this, but this is part of the inside the Raleigh Beltway thinking here, which is, that Cooper kind of sort of has to, uh, he has to sign the budget. That he has to do that. And the thinking on that is, is that it, that includes, because the budget includes Medicaid expansion. And so the conventional wisdom, the, the, the super smart, you know, uh, pundits and, and politicos up there in Raleigh, their argument is that he wants the credit for Medicaid expansion because he made it so much a focal point of, you know, everything that he's ever talked about for the last eight years. And so he wants to sign that, that budget so he can say he signed Medicaid expansion. And so the Republicans are going to 
going to try to stick all this stuff in there because they know he's got to sign it. And I don't think he will. I think, I think at best, he lets it become law without signing it. At best. He might even veto it. Because why? Like, what has he got to lose? Well, then he won't get Medicaid expansion, Pete. Yeah, but then they override his veto. And he's still going to run around saying that he got Medicaid expansion. He's still going to say it. Why wouldn't he say it? He's saying it already. <laughs> so he, he, it's the same argument he's been making on teacher pay raises. The guy has vetoed every single teacher pay raise that he has seen, except for the last one last year. Every single teacher pay raise that has come across his desk, he has vetoed it. Has he been tarred for that? No. Because he says he wanted more. I wanted bigger teacher pay raises. And the teacher's union loves him. So it doesn't matter. So I'm not on board with this thinking that, like, oh, he's got to sign the budget. But that is kind of what they're thinking up in Raleigh. Um, Then there was this. I mentioned this uh, in talking with, uh, no, I was going to say Marcus Brandon. I think it was with one of the callers. Um, Josh McGee, who is, the, uh, he's with educate, he's with the Hunt Institute, education policy at the Hunt Institute. Okay. Josh McGee. He's also, uh, he claims to be a Gen Z, which look, we all have our cross to bear. Um, Josh McGee goes on to Twitter and I don't know if I could have written a better example of a defense of the status quo GovCo monopoly system than this guy did, except he was serious. He's not spoofing or parodying himself, right? He says, while it may seem appealing to allocate funds directly to students rather than public schools, we must consider the impact and benefits of investing in our public education infrastructure. That's a euphemism for the system. We have to consider the impacts and benefits of investing in the system. A robust public school system is the bedrock of a democratic society. Is it? (gasps) I can't believe Pete said that. Is the public school system the bedrock of a democratic society or is education the bedrock? There is a difference. There is a difference. This is what Marcus Brandon was talking about. And by the way, when you use that public school system to transmit values which are perceived at the very least and are oftentimes objectively absolutely at odds with people's values that are funding your system, you should expect us. You should expect us to come and kick in the doors. You should. Because you're taking our money, you're using it to fund values that are antithetical to ours. We're not going to allow you to keep doing it, right? Because it's a public system. That's what a public system means. Uh, oh, my gosh, I can't believe there's politics involved. If you, if you don't want politics involved in K-12 government schools, then get government out of them. Because that's why politics is involved. This is how we settle these fights. It's with politics. That's the system. See, I'm actually, by being pro-voucher... I'm actually going to help you get rid of this, the politics here, because then you'll just have to worry about the politics of your school. That's it. And if your school is transmitting values to your kid that you don't agree with, then you just take them somewhere else. 
I realize, okay, so on Twitter, it's at Pete Callender. And I see why, uh, I see what happened. So I sent out a tweet today, um, and I said, gosh, leftists are melting down over school vouchers. I can only imagine how they'd react if we used vouchers for health care or food or housing. Oh, wait. <laughs> so, uh Apparently that got some traction. That's why I'm getting the swarming moon bats. I so that that does explain it. Um, okay, because I like today. It yeah, it seemed like a lot of moon battery and dumbassery all around me today, and that that explains it. Um, so you not only so you got Governor Cooper, who has uh, you know he comes on uh, TV, makes this impotent attempt to block school choice and higher teacher pay. He does this by using this fake theatrical and hyperbolic state of emergency declaration. Spoiler alert, not a state of emergency. It was a it was a fundraising pitch. It's a it's an email list generation tool. That's what he did it for. That's what he did it for. He wants all your personal info, yo. Yeah. Because you're going to get so angry at those Republicans trying to give people choices. And so you're going to sign on to his email list so you could, you know, you could sign on to the state of emergency. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. The sky is falling this time for real. It's going to kill us. And now he's got your info. And they're going to hit you up about every 17 minutes from now until the day you die. And you're going to get fundraising emails. So they, When he did. So this this flaccid performance he delivered it lasted six minutes okay it did arouse his followers though it did it aroused his followers to start attacking republicans but it also it also lined up with the e-blast from from people who had previously signed on to the list that went out so like when he got when he goes on tv and he does this little speech this is strictly a fundraising effort but all the folks on the left, they get whipped into this frothiness over it all. And uh, and and it's just, it's amazing to watch how you can tell people the information over and over again. And they can't seem to figure out that they are the baddies in this scenario. They are the ones keeping kids trapped in failing schools. And every argument that you make is simply a defense of the system. Of the status quo, because you can't fathom another system for whatever reason. Either you're limited by your own imagination, you're limited by an ignorance of history, or you derive personal benefit from the status quo system. Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage... Radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Abdul, welcome to the program. How are you? I don't, Pete. Thanks for taking my call. Certainly. Look, I was calling because I, I'm um, on either side of this uh, school choice 
situation. I don't see it because I'm a practicing Muslim as a right, left, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then because of that, I kind of can see things a little bit clearer and I'm more object- objective. For example, my question, I don't know exactly what figure or they're going to come up with a figure that they're going, they feel is good to give to a parent or parents to put their children into a school choice program. Yes. Is there, is there a figure given for that? Yes. Yes. It's the and per pupil, it's the per pupil expenditure figure that the state spends, which is a little bit over $7,000 a year. I think it's like 7,200. So that is the full, so that's the full voucher total, $7,200 per child per year. And that is for anybody, a family of four earning under $55,000 a year. If you make between 55,000 and 110,000, you would get 90% of that $7,200 figure. If you make between 110,000 and a quarter million, you get 60% of that figure. And if you make more than a quarter of a million dollars a year, you only get 40% of the $7,200. Okay, now where, when the parent gets that, what do they do with that money? Where do they go with that money? Goes to the... Let's say a child is already in public school, mm-hmm. has the children in public school. They want to take that that money and apply it to a school of their choice, mm-hmm. which would be where? Where would that be located? Any school they of their choice. Okay, where? In other words, if they're um, in that 55000 or less range, yeah. let's say both parents work, or even if one parent were, or the only one parent involved in the family. Yeah, maybe one parent, three kids. The children, is their funds included in that for transporting the child to and from the school? If the because school does that. In their neighborhood. Right, if the school does that. Then and, and if the school decides to do that, provide the transportation. Now, many schools don't, right? Many schools do not. Um, I forget if this, I forget if it was this iteration of the bill that has um, transportation costs. In other words, that you could use the money for transportation costs, I believe. But I forget. I'd have to go back and, and uh, look at the bill again to see if that's part of the, that, that was part of the final deal. Well, see, one of the reasons why I'm asking these questions is because um, I happen to be an African-American by choice, and I mentioned I'm a practicing Muslim. I raised my children. We had 10, my wife and I, and we taught our children. My wife and I taught. Uh, we had our own school. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, parent, our additional uh, students that were in our school were taught by our parents, their parents, both husband and wife, mother, father, together, we formed the school. Mm-hmm. We still pay taxes now, right? Uh, but we didn't ask for anything from anybody to do what we did, right? Um, but we're an exception to the rule, especially when we talk about African Americans, because African Americans pretty much are falling in that category of being dependent on the public school system. The public school systems generally are set up so that. Every student can be provided an education regardless of their their income. Mm-hmm. And that $7,200 or whatever the figure that you said may or may not take care of a student's needs. But the other issue is the curriculum that's being taught. Mm-hmm. And that's a question that I have because um, tying this in with this, this thing about the, there's no racism in America. 
unfortunately, that that is true. And I'll give you a perfect example. If you would answer this one question for me, then then you'll see what I'm talking about. Do you know what color Jesus was? Do I know what color Jesus was? Yes. Wasn't he a Jew from the Middle East? But what? Pete, what? I was raised as a practicing, well, I was raised as a Christian. Okay. My mom and dad, they said they were Christians. Practicing, I don't know. But in every black household that I can, and I'm up in my 60s, north, south, didn't matter what part of the country, everybody had a picture of Jesus and he was white. What, what? I didn't learn until later on that that was not his true color, but I didn't learn that in school. I didn't learn it in church. I learned it by taking history, what we call black history. Are you saying Why he was African-American? Are you saying he was, hang on, Abdul, you're saying Jesus was black? I didn't say he was black. Uh, what, so what, what, what color was he? You, you, you're, you, can't, you, you can't tell me. I, I said he was a Jew from the Middle East. He was a person of color, but he What is a person of color? What does that mean? He was brownish, reddish. Brownish, he, reddish. He wasn't. He wasn't white. The way my my image on my house, in my house, in my church, from the time I was raised, he had blonde hair and blue eyes. That wasn't a correct depiction. Yeah, I. Uh, this, I hang on, no, Abdul. Hang on a second. You are now the second. You are the second self-professed. Uh, black man to call me in the last two weeks to tell me that their idea of who Jesus has been and is, was, and everybody else, we were all subjected to this blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus figure. And I'll tell you the exact thing I told the last caller who told me that. I never was treated to that image. Maybe I was different. I grew up in New York in a Catholic church, and there were a lot of Italians around, and so I don't know. Maybe they had some influence over the iconography in there, but... They were, he was always dark skinned, dark haired, brown eyes. To, in, and, in my and church, Pete, I was raised in New York and graduated. From I, a I, could de- I could detect that. I could detect that. Why? So you're saying? Okay, and and all I'm saying about this, yeah. because it comes back to the curriculum. Yeah, we I agree talk about black history. Mm-hmm. Why do we have to have black history? Why does that have to be something separate? Because it was not taught to me in my regular school, Catholic school, public school, neither one. Yeah, well, when, dude, when we were growing up in New York, what were we taught about the Civil War? It was fought over slavery, end of chapter, right? I mean, that was essentially it. Down south, they got a little bit of a different education about the Civil War. Look, I'm fine, and this is the thing. Like, I am totally fine with all the schools and all the teachers and people making and parents making the decisions about what to focus on, how much time to focus on, that sort of stuff. You obviously taught your kids because you thought that that was the best way to ensure that they would learn the things that you found to be important. And I support that. I may not agree with your decisions. Like, I may not think that you you didn't spend enough time on subject A. You maybe spent too much time on subject B. But here's the thing. They're your kids. You get, the, you get to make that call. And all I'm saying from a government school perspective is that, that when parents don't agree with the curriculum, they need to have the ability to do as you did and get out. They have to have that right. Well, see, if you were born and raised in New York like I was, do you remember that there was school choice, not school choice per se, where you could take your money from the government mm-hmm. and choose a school, but that you, the parents were heavily involved. You have a parent teachers association. Remember that? Yeah, PTAs. PTA, yes. Mm-hmm. And what were the parents doing? They were going up there fussing about the curriculum, what was being taught. The issue now, Pete, 
And I'm in totally agreement with, I don't want to say it's a conservative issue because for me, it's not. My religion is totally against abortion, birth control, homosexuality, which means no gay marriage, and transgender. But that's not a conservative issue. But what I hear from listening to your talk show, uh, the gentleman in front of you, Vince Coakley, and other talk shows, it's always a conservative liberal, right or no. left. And, and that's, that's what creates all the confusion. That's not, a, that, no, not but a conservative Abdul, issue. Abdul, I would submit to you that you're projecting you don't want to be deemed a conservative on these political issues. This is this is like uh, what Bill Maher talks about, that he didn't become a conservative. The left went nuts. That's what happened. Like, we're watching it. There's a realignment in politics going on right now. Those labels don't really work anymore. People try to call me a conservative. I don't consider myself to be a conservative. I consider myself to be a lowercase l libertarian or a conservatarian. I, like, I don't care. I don't think government should be involved in... Most of the things it's involved in, I'm a limited government guy. That's my, that's my political philosophy. My default is towards freedom. That does not make me a conservative or a liberal. It, it just, it, uh, the labels get applied to me based on individual issues, but my underlying philosophy is default towards freedom. That's my default. And when you got the government running a monopoly on K-12 education and they're pushing that kind of an agenda and they're pushing it in direct opposition to the funders' ideologies and the funders' beliefs on what is right. Like you said, your religious beliefs are these things. And a school district run by the government taking your money via taxation, and they're using it to fund antithetical ideas to you? That's not right. That's not right. I got to run. I appreciate the call, Abdul. Call back anytime. I appreciate it. I enjoy the conversation. Come on, guys. You know he wasn't being literal. Huh. Okay, so if I want to be clear, Roy Cooper calling a fake state of emergency, we shouldn't take literally. So your defense is that he's just lying. Okay, I mean, that is a defense. That is definitely an argument (laughs) to make. It's not one I would have gone with, but okay. Will, welcome to the program. Hello, Will. Hey, yes, sir. Good afternoon, Pete. Hope you're doing well. I am. Hope you are uh, as well. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, for sure. Just wanted to remind your audience that when we discuss teacher pay, local government employee pay, state employee pay, at the end of the day, these folks always tout the card, hey, we're overworked and undercompensated. Let's always reconsider that. And recall that at the end of the day, these folks have pension plans, ignoring, completely ignoring their health insurance cost, completely ignoring if they get prostate cancer, cancer, urine cancer, uh, breast cancer. Your typical teacher is paid, average teacher pay in North Carolina is now roughly 65000 bucks a year. Uh, their average. That's. Their I, average. I don't believe that is accurate. I believe it's like. No, sir. No, I believe it's. I believe the average teacher pay is around fifty-four k. The the either way, a reasonable amount of cash on hand to mm-hmm. generate their pension income, which is roughly about seventy-five percent 
of their highest rate of pay mm-hmm. is somewhere between one million and one and a half million in dollars in cash to generate in the state pension plan to generate that level of pension income. And it's super important for the listeners to recognize and understand that these are not undercompensated employees. These are highly compensated employees. When you add their pension income and their health insurance income, they more more than materially surpass more than superior more than materially surpass the rate of pay in the private sector. So one of the trade-offs was always if you went to work in the public sector, you got low pay in your paycheck, but you got good benefits, right? And then in the private sector, you got lousier benefits, but you got higher pay. And that was based on this idea that, you know, you've got more risk of being fired in the private sector um, versus the public sector. And so uh, you took that job in the public sector, you got greater stability and that sort of thing. Um, I and, and I agree with you, Will, about the long-term costs and the compensation totals. I appreciate the info. Uh, the the um, new hires, I believe, are on a different schedule now. They don't they don't get the same level of benefits that people have been in the system for a long time have. You also have people. I mean, they can retire at much earlier ages, right? They can retire and get those plans, get those benefits. I, I do not have a well. Okay, I I think I. When I first got hired at WBT, we were owned by Jefferson Pilot Communications, which was owned by Jefferson Pilot Insurance, and they put us on a pension plan. I got on the pension plan, and then I think it was two months later, they scrapped it. So I have two months. I think I have two months vested. Woo, look at me. Two months before they scrapped the thing. It's, there's no money in it whatsoever. But people in the pen, like, I've never worked anywhere besides here in that one little two-month thing, and then it went away where I've ever had a pension. That is a rarity in the private sector and has been for my entire working career. So, because I knew it was rare when I got it and then lost it after two months, <laughs> which then got sold. I tried to track it down like about a year or so ago and it has changed hands like seven or eight times. And then out of the blue, I got a letter. They're like, hey, we got your address changed. I'm like, oh, Okay. How much is in there? Oh, it's $4. Awesome. Okay, thank you. I'll retire on that. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. All right, hey, real quick. It is estimated that more than 6 million Americans have Alzheimer's. It affected my family. My grandpa had it. New research and treatments are showing promise, but there's still a long way to go. So can you help me by supporting the Alzheimer's Association's Western Carolina chapter? The Family Dance Party Charlotte's on June 10th from 1 o'clock until 5 o'clock. It's at the Roxbury Nightclub in Uptown Charlotte. Go to Mix1079.com and get tickets and come bust a move on the dance floor or donate tickets to a family that's battling the disease. The Family Dance Party is presented by Jameson Realty. Again, if you can help us out, I appreciate it. Go to Mix1079.com and thank you for considering the request.